it's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, can the dead communicate with us? Coming up in this episode, is it possible to communicate with the dead? Many people believe so. As Christians, we need to know and follow the truth on this, and the truth may not be comfortable. How do we handle the new wave of these apparent communications, also known as ADCs, after-death experiences? Now, here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie. Welcome everyone, I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. Thankful to be here. And Julie is also with us. Hi, gentlemen. Jonathan, what's our theme scripture for today's episode? Isaiah 8:19. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? Our shared human experience is linked by extreme grief at the loss of a loved one. COVID-19 has unexpectedly killed millions of people around the world, often with no time opportunity for meaningful closure. When a child dies or or a loved one dies tragically or simply passes away from sickness or old age, we want to know, where are they? Are they hurting? Are they okay? Our emotional devastation can cause a desperate search for assurances that they are in a good place. The urge to communicate with the dead through a medium or psychic has been around since ancient days. But have the dead found a way to communicate directly with us? Could they be reaching out to us using common things like butterflies or coins or birds? How should we handle such a tempting and yet comforting idea? Folks, buckle your seatbelts. There's a lot to talk about here today. A lot of details to put in place, but we want to start with the basics. Life is sacred, and the loss of life is tragic. Unequivocally, that's what we all know to be true. In the beginning, going way back to the beginning, the beautiful gift of life was compared with the consequences of disobedience. This is how humanity got its start. Jonathan, let's go to Genesis 2, 15 to 17 from Young's Literal Translation. And Jehovah God taketh the man and causeth him to rest in the garden of Eden, to serve it and to keep it. And Jehovah God layeth a charge on the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden eating thou dost eat, and of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou dost not eat of it. For in the day of thine eating of it, dying thou dost die. Well, let's sum up, Rick, this scripture. God gave man the perfect environment conducive for living. Also, man was tasked with its care and upkeep. Also, a potential consequence for disobedience wasn't immediately uh, present at that time. And lastly, the consequence for disobedience would have an immediate effect dying, thou dost die. And, you know, that's why we use that translation, the Young's literal translation. It's a little bit harder to understand, but when it comes to this consequence, it says, it doesn't say in the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. That's what the King James says, dying thou dost die. In other words, a process begins that is not going to stop. That's what the scripture actually really means. So we have the beautiful gift of life, the garden to serve it, to keep it, but you need to keep yourself in order in relationship with God. Otherwise, there's this consequence of dying thou dost die. Now we're talking about the death part. So Julie, where do we start? We're going to look at the other side of this issue now. Well, we have some sound bites from a man named Bill Guggenheim, who's considered to be the father of after-death communications or ADC research. He claims to have had several experiences with people who had passed contact him, including his own daughter who died from suicide. And he has interviewed others with similar experiences. He wrote wrote a book. He does a lot of uh, speaking engagements. We're going to look into spontaneous ADCs now and induced ADCs in the next half of this episode. We're going to listen now to Bill explain what a spontaneous ADC after death communication is from an interview he did on YouTube. 
an after-death communication or an ADC is a spiritual experience that occur that occurs when a person is contacted directly and spontaneously by a family member or a friend who has died. It's a direct experience because no third parties are involved. There are no psychics, mediums, therapists, hypnotists, rituals, or devices that are involved with this. And an ADC is a spontaneous event because our deceased ones always choose when, where, and how they will contact us. Meaning we may want them to come to us. We can ask them to, we can do some other things for that, but we can't make it happen. We can want it to happen, but it's not something we can control. And ADCs can happen anytime and anywhere. And that just is a matter of being open to having it occur. So, uh, Julie, before, before you, we, we expand on this, there's a couple of things he said there that we're going to be really taking issue with as we describe what we understand this whole phenomenon to be. But go ahead. Well, so what piqued our interest in this topic overall was this article we read in CNN.com about shared grief and trauma from mass deaths. And I wanted to read an excerpt. It was called, They Lost Their Loved Ones to COVID, Then They Heard From Them Again. And this was from June of 2021 this year. And here's, here's the quote. The 1918 influenza epidemic sparked a spiritualism craze as Americans turned to seances and Ouija boards to contact departed loved ones. After the 9-11 terrorist attacks came a wave of people reporting sightings of and even conversations with those who had been snatched from their lives. When a tsunami struck Japan in 2011, killing at least 20,000 people, so many inhabitants of Ishanomaki reported seeing their loved ones appear that a book and a documentary were made about this city of wandering ghosts. These experiences of after-death communications occur across cultures, religious beliefs, ethnicities, and income levels. Many of these encounters occur in a twilight state between sleeping and waking, but others have been reported by people who were alert, end quote. All right. So this is a big phenomenon. So what do you do with this? So let's begin to break this down. Jonathan and Julie, you've got some some points to put on on the table here. Well, Well, first of all, Rick, some of you who understand our beliefs on death may be confused as to why we are talking about this. Well, stay with us because this is a fascinating subject and it does not go against our biblical understanding of death. And we're going to lay that out very soon. So, Jonathan, let's let's break down this idea of these after-death communications ADCs. Well, there's no good number on how many people have experienced an ADC. It is at least tens of thousands. Some say tens of millions. And ADCs, what makes them unique is they don't use a medium or a psychic to communicate with the dead. They've essentially cut out the middleman. And this has given people great relief and healing. Those who have had this experience seem sincere and honest. And spontaneous ADC happens often during that liminal or in-between state of being sleeping and consciousness. And it's described by people who have it as being more vivid than a dream. And unlike a dream that usually lasts about 24 hours in our memory, this type of memory of this encounter lasts a lifetime. So they're different than a typical dream, and it's a very different kind of experience. And the question is, what do we do with all of this? And what we want to do here at Christian Questions is put it on the table first, and then take it apart and try to understand its pieces and look at it very, very logically, very scripturally, and very clearly to see what we can take home and say, wow, that's good, and what we can take home and say, oh, no, I don't want to take that home. I think I'm going to leave that alone because there's different parts of these things. So we want to go through this very, very carefully. Let's go back to Mr. Guggenheim, and he is going to now, in his ADC experiences, talk about uh, the two parts of grief. I found that there are two parts of grief. First of all, the death of anyone we love, whether it's a child, a spouse, a parent, whoever, I call it an emotional amputation. It's just as though an arm or a leg or some other part of us is just amputated. Something's missing. Not only just a phantom limb. I mean, it's much more than that. It's real. And we mourn that. We grieve that. And we wonder, how are they? Do they still, first of all, in our culture, do they still exist? Is there a life after death? or a heaven or a hell or this or that. And uh, the other part is that sense of something not being there, just the presence of somebody. 
So it's interesting. He talks about it as, as, a, as, a, as an amputation, and I think that's a really good example. And he also talked about phantom pain. If, you know, when you speak to someone who's had an, a limb amputated, they'll tell you about the fingers uh, hurting, even though when there aren't any. He's like, how can that possibly be? Hang on to that thought, because that's going to come in handy as we try to understand all of this that's happening. But let, let's take a, a scriptural look at grief for a moment, because grief is a universal thing. Nobody does well with especially unexpected death. You know, we mentioned COVID-19 earlier and, and the millions of people that died unexpectedly. It's hard. And in Scripture, it's shown to us to be hard. When Joseph's brothers, way back in Genesis, Joseph and the coat of many colors, the, you know, 12 brothers and so forth, when, they, when his brothers brought Jacob, their father, Joseph's tunic, because they had sold him into slavery, and, and they brought it to him to create an illusion that Joseph was dead. They sold him, they, didn't, they wanted to get off the hook, so they created this fallacy. Listen to how Jacob responds to seeing the tunic of his son, Genesis 37, 33 to 35. Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to the grave in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. So you see uh, Jacob wearing the grief outwardly, inwardly, and he feels like he'll never get away from it until the day he dies. Isn't that the experience we're talking about with all of these people mourning this grief, many times the sudden loss of life because it's just too hard to bear? The scriptures show us this has been a human trait from very from, from, from right, right at the beginning. Losing our loved ones, and in this case, in jo uh, Jacob's case, believing you lost a loved one has always caused humanity the deepest sorrow and the deepest grief. So, Jonathan, as we wrap this piece up, just this introduction, if you will, coping with our greatest losses, what do we have? As human beings, we want to search out ways of relieving the pain of loss, but often the agony is too intense to overcome. We will feel stuck and hopeless. And we often get paralyzed in our loss, that pain that you just can't figure out. It causes this paralysis, and we get stuck in our grief. So the idea of after-death communication is a big idea that seems to actually change lives. So what do we do with it? Why is dealing with death so difficult? What makes us so dramatically aware of this loss? When you compare the way humanity manages death with any other living creature, it becomes apparent that our reasoning capacity sees this event, this event of death, as life-altering. In most cases, death feels like it should not belong. We, we build monuments. We build memorials. We cherish memories. We hold on to belongings. What are we doing? We are striving to keep our loved one alive because it hurts too much. So why are we like this? Let's go back again to Scripture to set the human context of all of this. According to the Bible, we were created to live, to thrive, and to care for that which God had given to us. How do we know that? Because that's what's described from God as a gift to Adam. Jonathan, let's go back again to Genesis chapter 1, uh, this time verses 27 to 30. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So God creates humanity and places them on the earth, and he lavishes 
Adam with these gifts of life and care and nourishment and work to do to keep things in order. This is a very vibrant, living, life-provoking life that man was wired into. God's design for life was not only for life, it was for the purpose of, of harmony, harmony with and flourishing in the image of the creator himself. Let us make man in our image, life-giving. That's the image of God. This is what humanity is wired to be. Death is not natural. We don't want it. We don't like it. We want it to go away. And when it happens, especially unexpectedly, we get taken aback. And sometimes we just don't know what to do. So let's go back to the other side of the issue now, uh, Mr. Guggenheim. And he's now, he's going to reveal some very interesting things here about what the messages of these, quote, dead people, unquote, say. Now, some of these are stated verbally. Others are implied. So it may be either way. And that they're saying, I'm happy. Don't worry about me. Don't grieve for me. Everything will be all right. Go on with your own life. And so they're saying, we don't have to be concerned about them. Our grief is our missing of them. Uh, the empty place next to us. The empty place at the table. That's probably the most poignant. Now, nearly 100% of these spontaneous ADCs follow this positive pattern. Now, suicide is difficult because the living person carries guilt that they couldn't intervene and prevent it. And they also have anger towards the person who took their own life. So if the person died by suicide, the ADC message will inevitably be, I'm sorry, please forgive me. So what you're saying, Julie, is that there is this sense of everything is okay. That's what you're saying. The general, almost always the message is one way or another. That's right. See, now, that's important. Folks, that's important for us to understand as we delve into to figure out what this really is. And we believe, the scriptures tell us what this really is, and we believe that science also backs up what the scriptures say. So let's put this all in order. Here is the bottom line, and we've talked about this already, and Mr. Guggenheim has mentioned it, and Julie, your article and so forth, you really have, have made it very clear. We strive to keep our loved ones alive. We do. That's just human nature. The question is, really and truly, are they, are they alive after death? Well, let's go back to the consequence. The consequence of disobedience for Adam, and therefore for all of humanity, was plainly and forcibly, uh, forcefully stated right from the start. Remember, dying you shall die. Sin was committed, the consequences were activated. Now let's go back and round it out with God continuing. We're not going to go by those few words. We're going to go by God's actions and statements with those actions. Genesis 3, 17 to 19. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. So, He's talking to Adam, saying there's these consequences of sin. You don't have the ground, the, 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 the garden that I really put in place and prepared for you. You're going to have to do it all from scratch, and it's not going to go well for you. And then he concludes what happens to Adam. And listen carefully to how God himself describes what's going to happen. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You will return to the ground because you were taken from it. I will return you where you came from. That's what God himself says. So you, mankind, will return to the elements. Not just your body, you, because that's where God brought us from. Death is defined here. Death is simply going back to the pre-life state. Before God created man, there was dirt. That's what we go back to inevitably afterwards. That's the absence of life. So no matter what you're seeing or experiencing with an ADC, it absolutely is not someone who died and who is now seemingly more alive than ever. And to walk through the detailed scriptural explanation of what Rick, you just described, search episodes, the number 857 
and 861 for the two parts of where does your soul go when you die? And all of the scriptural references and much of the commentary are on the CQ Rewind show notes that we provide for every episode. These are, of course, free at ChristianQuestions.com and the Christian Questions app in your app store. If you're trying to explain death to your children, check out our CQ Kids video called What Happens When We Die? at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. So we're, we're making some pretty strong statements here about life and death, and we're calling death the absence of life. And yet, we have these things that are called ADCs, after-death communications. How do we put this all in order to make it understandable? We need to dig a little further, and then we can put the logic on the table. And folks, please do stay with us because there's a tremendously logical way to understand this. And there are things that we do need to be very, very, very careful of. And there are other things that we should be welcoming of. What are they? We'll figure that out as we go. Let's go back to Mr. Guggenheim again. And now he's going to start talking about visitation, not through words, but more through symbols. A very large category, and this is where a lot of books are being written right now, are about signs and symbols. Mm-hmm. And almost anything can be a sign. Seeing a rainbow, seeing uh, butterflies, birds, uh, you name it, finding pennies, quarters, dimes, whatever. We find dimes. Yeah. Okay. On and on and on. If, if you read about these, you'll see, and if you ask for this kind of a sign, to let me know you still exist, that you're okay, you sort of begin opening up. It's just that we're so closed as a society to the possibility because the skeptics, cynics, agnostics, and atheists have told us this is all there is. There's nothing more. They don't exist. So these signs commonly include like certain colored feathers, repeating numbers, uh, birds like doves and cardinals. And in that CNN article I quoted from previously, a husband who lost his wife saw about a dozen streetlights glow purple on his early morning trip to work. And this was the same route she took on her final drive to the hospital. Purple was her favorite color. So he has decided that this is a message from her even though when he contacted the city, they said it's just a defective batch of lights and they're going to change it when they burn out. But this comforts him. So, Rick, in a previous episode, you talked about the brain's reticular activator. Can you remind us what that was? The reticular activator. And, and, and it's, a, it's a, an amazing phenomenon of the brain. And the brain is full of amazing phenomena. The reticular activator is this part of the brain that when you are interested in something, you suddenly notice everything about it. So if you are looking to buy a new car, and I always use this as an example, and you want to buy, buy a blue Subaru, you drive down the street and all of a sudden, there are blue Subarus everywhere. You're like, whoa, look, there's another, oh, look, there's another one. You never <laughs> notice blue Subarus in your entire life until you've decided you're looking for one. Our mind picks out the things because we have so much stimulus coming in that our mind has to sift through and decide what's important. So when we begin to focus on something and we make it important, the mind will pick up on that and will help us. So with our experiences and losing loved ones, when there's something important, we're going to want to notice. And our mind is going to make that a priority and it will overlook 55 other details to pick out that one. That's what the reticular activator is. And that's I think how it works in these circumstances. So sometimes a butterfly is just a butterfly. Yeah, always a butterfly is just a butterfly. <laughs> always a butterfly is just a butterfly. That's, that's right. A Once a butterfly, it. always a butterfly. Uh, yes. But but you know uh, when, when we go through this and we're we're trying to understand it, uh, Mr. Guggenheim has talked about the these ADCs as a spiritual experience, and I'm going to take great issue with that. Okay, I just want to put that on the table at this point because I don't believe that it's a spiritual experience. And we'll explain why as we go, but I just wanted to put that on the table. Jonathan, let's, uh, we're going to prepare to go back to Genesis again because we're talking about life and death, and it's confusing. It's very confusing, and all kinds of cultures have all kinds of different beliefs, and the question has to arise. How did something so simple and important as obeying your Creator's rules become so messed up so easily? Life and death. Easy things become complicated when deception comes into play. Genesis 3, verses 2 to 5. Let's go back to the Young's literal translation. And the woman saith unto the serpent, Of the fruit of the trees of the garden we do eat, and of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye do not eat of it, nor touch it, lest ye die. 
And the serpent saith unto the woman, Dying, ye do not die, for God doth know that in the day of your eating of it, your eyes have been opened, and ye have been as God, knowing good and evil. Well, Rick, this scripture is why Satan is called the father of lies. Who are we going to believe? God, the creator, who said you will die, or Satan, the prince of darkness and evil, who said you won't die? Yeah, it really is. I know it's a simple choice. I know, I know. Which which one? (laughs) Right, right. Julie, go ahead. Well, the penalty for sin is death, and it's not that you're more alive than you ever were somewhere. It's interesting that no matter what kind of person the loved one was, good, bad, sinful, religious, not religious, they always appear with that same, I'm fine, don't worry about me, everything's okay attitude. And we, we have to take away something from that, because you have a very predictable answer from, quote, the other side. So my question is, is it from, quote, the other side, or is it from something within? We're going to plant that seed now. We're going to develop that because I believe, firmly believe, that there's a, a completely different way of looking at this, and it is not a spiritual experience. We're going to develop that as we go. Want to go on to, go ahead, Julie, nothing, something Well, else? I just want to talk about our next soundbite. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. So uh, Guggenheim was asked if he's ever heard of a negative or a frightening ADC. And his answer was no, except for someone who misinterpreted the experience. And this happened with someone who, who was very firmly uh, religious, with religious convictions, who commanded this vision or whatever they saw of this deceased person to go away. And he didn't say which religion it was, but here's, here's how he continued this story. The, the belief is, the misunderstanding is that we're conjuring the spirits of our children or whoever it is back. We're not. We're allowing them to come back. They choose to come back. We, all we have to do is be open to it. And we're not, we may want it to happen, but we can't make it happen. And in the Bible, in Corinthians, there are the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of which is the discernment of spirits. It doesn't say only evil spirits. It just says discernment of spirits. And if I go a step further, the most famous 80s in history are the appearances Jesus made following the crucifixion. Yeah. That is well known. And up to, uh, you know, from Mary Magdala afterwards and the apostles on up to 500 people. And I think that was a large part of the initial attraction uh, of Christianity in that at that time was the fact that he was able to show himself afterwards and part of his own mission. Now, I do think when he said Mary Magdala, I think he really meant to say Mary Magdalene. Yes. Um, but this does make me super uncomfortable that he's quoting Scripture in, in context of this. Well, and, and Julie, you're right, because he's not quoting Scripture even remotely correctly. And to, this is, this is a Rick opinion, to have the audacity to go to a book that you don't understand, to try to prove a point that you're trying to make, is a ridiculous thing because the Bible is sacred, and to put Jesus in the context of these the the the, the workings of people's minds because he was risen from the dead, God Almighty raised him from the dead, and he it wasn't some 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 aberration. He was there, so this this helps me to understand where this perspective comes from, and this is taking what I think in to a large degree, is actually a natural working of the human mind and making it into something, trying to paint a picture that it's not. And that's not a good thing to do. And I think that's actually kind of dangerous. So are we saying that after-death communications are not real? Let's be straightforward. Thanks for putting me on the spot. Okay, yes, we're saying that it's not real. However... However, we are saying that the people that have these experiences are having real experiences. Let's not mince words with that. They're having a real experience. But is what they're experiencing, does the interpretation fit the actual real experience? That's where I think we need to answer the question. And in the next segment, we're going to start to do that in a much bigger way. So if, we're going to, if we were to experience this spontaneous ADC, is that a sin? You know, if that happens to us, what are we supposed to do? Engage with the sensation or shut it down? Well, now remember, most of these ADCs, Julie, according to what you were saying, come during that liminal state, you know, the, between sleep and waking, and you're not sure and, and all of that. And, and my response to that is ask my wife. 
you know, my wife, Trish, uh, her, when her father died several years ago, I don't know, it was a year or two or something afterwards, she had a very vivid, I'm not going to call it a vision because it was a dream in that liminal state, and she had a conversation with her dad. Now, why? Because she missed him. She didn't want him to be gone. And in this dream, which is so vivid she can still remember it, he says, you know I'm not really here, right? But she wanted him to be. And it helped her to eventually just kind of put things in order over time. So, you know, if you experience it, it's your mind looking for its own ability to close an issue that's left open at this point. That's the, the best way I can describe it. Okay, so there's potentially millions of people who, because of spontaneous ADCs, are believing Satan's lie, though, that dying thou shalt not die. And there's therefore no reason for the ransom and the resurrection because the scriptures get perverted. There's this misconception that the minute you die, you go to either heaven or hell. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And the vast majority of mankind are in their graves waiting for a resurrection on earth. Um, follow the scriptural reasoning with episodes 1174 and 1175, Did God Make Heaven and Hell Humanity's Destiny, Parts 1 and 2. But, you know, in going through this subject, Rick, what role might Satan and the fallen angels have in these after-death communications? Because if it does pervert it, you know, pervert the scriptures, that, that, that can't be good. That can't be from God. Or is it always just our brain well, well no you know what i think i think it's our brain when it happens without us looking for it but i think when we go looking for it when we go to dig in when we want to have a communication when we want to go have a conversation that's where satan and the fallen angels thrive because we're looking into darkness for something that doesn't really exist but the darkness will show us a way to believe it that's where you stay far away we look at this, I look at this, the, the, this, this, uh, this phenomenon within the human mind as something that happens when we're just troubled, and it's your mind working on it. That's the way I see it. But when, you are, when you're looking to have a conversation and I want to know, does my deceased husband or wife think I should buy this other house? No, 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 no. That's not something you should ever, that's, that's inappropriate. It's inappropriate, and you go to dark places. That's what I think we should really, really be careful about. And we're going to define the differences as we go into the next segment, okay? We're going to get much more deeply into this. So, Jonathan, coping with our greatest losses, what do we have? Our deep attachment to our lost loved ones can bring overwhelming desires for closure and continued attachment. These can be healthy and should be encouraged within the context of what we know to be true. Okay, so... What we need to understand is we need to know what we know to be true according to Scripture and put things in that specific context. It gets sensitive now. While the Bible speaks about death as lifelessness, we need to understand what people do experience. We have considered after-death communications with biblical reasoning. Can we explain ACDs with human logic as well? While we always want to have a biblical foundation for our thinking, plain and simple logic is also and always needed. As we now move to observe the world of these, quote, induced after-death communications, we're going to see a powerful pattern of logic, not spirituality, of logic developed. The question is, where will that logic lead? And folks, before we go further, I just want to mention, we're going to be talking about something called EMDR uh, during the rest of the podcast. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy. Now, it's a complex therapy that's it's trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, and its purpose is to reduce the power of traumatic memories. That's what it's there for. I have personal experience with EMDR. My beloved wife, Trish, went through EMDR after being robbed uh, at the bank she worked at twice within 13 days by the same guy. Uh, my daughter, Amy, went through EMDR after she was raped at age 13, uh, 15, I'm sorry, age 15, and both of them got their life back. So I understand it because I watched it happen at two different times in life. And what I saw in those experiences was the power of the human mind. And that's really what we're going to focus in on here. 
So we've got uh, the next sound bites for the rest of the program will be from Alan L. Botkin. He is a doctor of psychology, and he accidentally discovered in 1995 that he could use a non-standard form of this EMDR Rick was talking about to induce an after-death communication. So we'll listen to him explain what an induced I or IADC is. People who have researched spontaneous ADCs, like the Guggenheims and so on, some of them have been kind of slow to accept what I do mm-hmm. because they believe that all real ADCs are like gifts from heaven, that there's something we have no control over. I see. You're either, you're either lucky to have one or you're unlucky and you don't have one. Sure. But actually, my response to that is in IADC, we don't directly induce the ADC experience what we do is induce a state of mind where the AD, ADC then naturally unfolds. Yeah. Probably the main principle of IADC is um, sadness prevents ADCs from occurring. And so when we purposefully remove the sadness and get people to a state where they're feeling good, and an ADC experience is much more likely. I see. Yeah. And people who report spontaneous ADCs mm-hmm. do not have them when they are feeling real sad or wanting contact. They just kind of come out of the blue. Yeah. Um, oftentimes people are asleep, or most often in my experience they're asleep, mm-hmm. but they describe them as very different uh, from dreams yep. um, in terms of their quality and clarity and um uh, they tend to be remembered for a lifetime as opposed to forgotten in over 24 hours. Yeah. So, so you know, he's talking about IADCs inducing the state of mind from which an ADC unfolds. And this is the state of mind that heals the mind. And the thing to remember is this is not some gift from heaven. It's a state of mind. Uh, Dr. Botkin's website said this. Most people believe their experiential reconnection is real, but they do not have to believe in the authenticity of the experience to benefit from its profound healing effects. To me, that tells me that you, it, it's, you, can, you know that it's not your dead relative, but yet it's kind of like um, if, if your therapist said, sit down and write a letter to this person who you know, left you. What would you say to them? And there's, there's a healing process in being able to, air quote, speak to that person and say all those things that you didn't get to say. And so this is the power of the mind. And we really want to focus on that and, and follow the logic of that because this is a logical scenario that uh, this Dr. Abakin is talking about. And he is putting people through a, a clinically proven process that's meant to Work on the mind, work in the mind, work with the mind. Nothing outside of that, just the mind. And I want to remind you, according to Scripture, death is the absence of life. Let's go to the New Testament now. We talked about the Old Testament in the previous couple of segments. Romans, the book of Romans refers back to the original sentence for sin given in the garden. So, Jonathan, let's just quickly go to Romans six twenty to 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you, were you, were you than deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Okay, slavery to sin, outcome is death. That's the first point that the apostle makes. Verse 22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Remember, the outcome was death. Now he says the outcome can be eternal life. That's a, that's a difference. It was death. Now it's life. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So sin does bring death. Even in his enlightened state, with the Holy Spirit working with him, the Apostle Paul doesn't add to or change the simple Genesis equation. That's what God said. Paul exactly repeats it. But what he's doing now, he's saying, I'm living at a time where I've seen the sacrifice of Jesus, and he adds a miraculous hope beyond the grave because Jesus paid the ransom price. So he says there can be life after death. But death is in between. Death is that state of lifelessness, and that's what he's talking about. Sin brings lifelessness. So it's the same. The equation doesn't change. Let's go to uh, Dr. Botkin's uh, next piece. He's going to be talking about uh, you can't talk through some of these issues. You have to kind of feel them. 
it's my firm belief that when it comes to grief and trauma, you can't talk your way out of it. Yeah, you yeah. can't think your way out of it. You've got to get to the emotions, but not just get to them and bring them up. You've got to then do something with them, which is what the eye movement does so beautifully. It changes it. It gets those parts of the brain back involved where it can then be remembered in a very different way. Interesting. Uh, I just want to make sure people understand this part. So if we're talking about sadness, guilt, and anger, what you're saying is a lot of times, or from your experience, the guilt and the anger when we're blaming other people is protect, protecting us from actually feeling the sadness. Correct. And, and so they're, they're masking what the true uh, core of the problem is, which is our sadness. And so I'm sure part of the challenge for you as their therapist is to get them to not focus on those other things, but to focus on the sadness because nobody really wants to do that. It's painful, right? Right. Absolutely. So this is interesting because it's a matter of getting the brain to focus on certain things. And that's what EMDR is there for. And that's what this therapy is about. Getting your brain to refocus so your brain can get reconnected. So it can actually have the ability to take steps forward. Because with trauma, with PTSD and things like that, your brain's connections change. And folks, I had mentioned to you, uh, we're, we're going to be doing a, a podcast on PTSD uh, several weeks from now, but uh, we're beginning to work on it already to really describe what this does because it's a fascinating experience and it's really a God-glorifying experience when you see this in a big, big picture. But let's go back again, and, and we keep going back to Scripture because we want to make sure you understand that according to Scripture, the Scriptures say what they say about life, they say what they say about death, and we don't want to step outside of those boundaries even for a second. The next verse we're going to look at is Job. Remember Job? He's lamenting his great losses and feeling like he can't go on living. Job 14, verses 10 to 14. But man dies and lies prostrate, but expires. And when he, where he is, as water evaporates from the sea and a river becomes parched and dried up, so man lies down and does not rise until the heavens are no longer. He will not awaken nor be aroused out of his sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath returns to you that you would set a limit for me and remember me. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. So what Job is saying is, what change is he referring to? The resurrection change, which is still future. So we look at this, and Job is talking about the lifelessness until resurrection. It's all over the Bible. That's the point here. Job's struggle verifies the biblical theme of death being the absence of life. This can create a huge disconnect as we look at the many experiences of people suffering the losses that they've had. And that's why we're talking about the ADC phenomenon, because you're saying, well, if, if they're really dead, then what's happening? And the answer is what's happening, if it's something that's really caused by grief and loss, it's your mind helping you to reconcile that missing of that person. That's what's happening. That's the real truth of it. And when you look at the EMDR approach, you can really see that begin to shine. So I've got a question. As a Christian, should we allow our therapist to perform EMDR with the express intent of trying to see a dead person as part of our treatment? Or should we even should we be worried if it happens accidentally within that treatment? All right. So, you know, the idea here is uh, if you are going to say, I want to be sure I understand. You know, if you're going to say, hey, I want to talk to, uh, you know, my, my, my grandfather, I just miss him. I miss my grandfather. If this, this is a way I can, hey, give me the name of this guy and the phone number. Let me get an appointment with him so I can go see my grandfather. Yeah, and the answer is absolutely flat out no. That's absolutely- but I miss him. I'm, I'm grieving. Yes, you're grieving, but you miss him. It's not trauma. You just feel like I want to talk to my grandpa. Right, right. Yeah, see, there's a huge difference, Julie, between the I want to talk to that, that person that I'm missing or I can't get over their loss. I can't get past it. And it's I see. breaking me. If you are just looking, that's dangerous. Because we're now using our therapist as a psychic. We're trying to. And we are to. told to stay away yeah, from all that. And incidentally, that's not going to work. We'll, we'll get to that, all right? Okay. But no, that is entirely inappropriate. It's entirely inappropriate because you're creating motivation, you're creating curiosity, and you're going down roads that you don't belong on. 
So don't take this as an open invitation. Hey, I can go do this. No, you can't. No, you shouldn't, especially according to Scripture. Let's be clear, very, very clear on this. Okay, this is to deal with deep trauma. Next soundbite from uh, Dr. Botkin is about, interestingly, grief and trauma. Grief and trauma are much more interchangeable to me um, than maybe to perhaps some other people. Yeah, okay. Even people who are experiencing normal bereavement, and there's no real traumatic aspect to it, you know, they may have troubling troubling images of, of someone in the casket, you know, didn't look like them, you know, and... Every time they think of their lost loved one, they just see this horrible image of the person in the casket. Right. You know, and, and that's like an, an intrusive symptom, just like PTSD. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, whether it's normal grief or traumatic grief, the issue is the same. You have to yeah. process sadness. In terms of the trauma, one of the things that you're able to do is replace the traumatic memory with a new memory. Yeah, and that seemed to happen automatically. My vets would frequently say, you know, this is weird, but I try to remember the original traumatic image, Yeah, and it's really hard to get back. All I see is this smiling face now. So Dr. Botkin here is talking about his war veteran patients. He described people seeing their best friends get shot in the head with all the blood and the gore and all that. So after the ADC and seeing their buddies looking happy and younger with no wounds, the nice image replaced the bad and their stress and grief went away. And that is the human mind creating a new way to remember the same thing. And we do that all the time. You know, when we go down the really dark roads in our own minds and we create images that really aren't real, and look, we all do that. We all make things a lot worse than they need to be. What are we doing? We're we're building images in our head. Well, this is your mind building a different image so you can cope with the loss and you can move forward. It's a physiological change that this EMDR actually brings on. Replacing traumatic memories with new memories is a critical step in the mind being able to heal itself and, it, and for us being able to move forward in life. That's why this treatment is so very valuable. It's the brain reminding you that things are okay. If you do have a vision, what is it? It's your brain helping you cope with a loss and it's okay. Look, we do all have dreams. Sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're vivid. We also have those eureka moments. That's the brain working all the time. And that's the key. It's the brain working all the time and focusing it so that we can actually move forward. Let's move forward again with a little bit, the next step in our scriptural understanding of this life and death situation, John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And the word judgment here is the Greek word crisis, meaning a decision. Notice it's not a resurrection to hellfire damnation, uh, which is mistranslated. It's a resurrection from the grave to the day of judgment. Exactly. And for more on how that day of judgment is not just a sentence on what you've done in this life, but it's a time of accountability and rehabilitation, see episode 934. Just type in 934 in the search bar at christianquestions.com. Will sinners be happy on judgment day? So when we put the resurrection here and Jesus raising because of the ransom all mankind, it begins to change the overall picture of being in a, quote, good place. We know that dead is dead, but think about good place, and we're going to move that forward in time. We're going to come back to that in the next segment. So, Jonathan, coping with our greatest losses, what do we have? As human beings created in God's image, we have great capacity. If we can combine knowing God's plan as we experience healing from the grief of loss, we can not only heal our minds, but focus our lives in the most positive way as well. Knowing God's plan while we're working through our grief is an important aspect of us being able to see it much more clearly. So as we observe the science of ADCs, let's also observe the power of God's eternal plans for all of humanity. What is the difference between the ADCs we're discussing compared to mediums and psychics? Ah, now we're going. 
<laughs> there is literally a world of difference. The ADCs, the after-death communications we're discussing, come from within the human mind of the person who's struggling, be it naturally or through treatment for their sadness and grief. Remember, it's from the inside. It comes from the mind. Mediums and psychics, now look, let's be clear on this. Mediums and psychics attempt to blindly touch the spirit world to provoke a communication that we believe is not only dangerous, it's dark, and it's deceiving, and it's a place you should stay far away from, unequivocally far away from. And Julia, going back to that, that comment we were talking about earlier about, well, I want, just want to talk to them. I miss them, and I, you know, I feel grief, and I miss them. That's, and, and you're searching that out. That's very different than not being able to move forward. Don't go down that road of trying to be able to knock on the door. That is a spiritual experience, but it's a dark, evil spiritual experience. Make no, make no mistake, there's no exception to that. That is an evil spiritual experience. So we want to be really careful of those things. Let's go back to Dr. Boykin again. This, is, this gets into some of the intensity of EMDR, this EMDR treatment. This is really is an amazing thing that's coming up. A lot of people get hugs, and 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 they're not just um, you know like you know virtual hugs. They're feeling the sensation that someone's actually hugging them, right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's something Sam said on my very first case. He said I could actually feel Lee's arms around me. Yeah. You can feel it like it's a ta- a real tactile kind of thing. Mm. So what he's describing is Dr. Botkin's first case decades ago was with a Viet- Vietnam veteran named Sam. And during the war, he was going to adopt this 10-year-old Vietnamese girl named Lee and take her back to the United States. The girl was killed in front of him, and he was traumatized ever since. Uh, he was not able to have a normal relationship with his biological daughter. He was just decades later, just very messed up. And during his EMDR, he perceived her as being an adult, wearing white, safe and happy. And she told him he took wonderful care of her and that she was okay. And like like they said, he felt you know the sensation of being held. And he was a completely changed man after this. And so you say, okay, now is that spooky? No. Yes. <laughs> okay. No, I get it. I get it. A little bit spooky. No, but, but see, see, to me it's not. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. In, in, in my wife, in her experience going through EMDR, she had physical sensations from that EMDR. She, she felt the ground shake. She got nauseous because the ground was shaking. She was sitting in the room with the therapist. How did she feel it? Because her mind brought her there. And what it was doing was giving her a new way to cope with a trauma that she couldn't handle. It, was, it, had, it had taken some of the circuits in her brain and shut them down. And this was given, her brain giving her a way to open them back up. And I just want to clarify with a question, Rick. Should we counsel against this therapy because there's a great chance of people believing they will be actually communicating with a deceased individual? See, that, that's a, that can be a difficult question. And my, my, my reaction to that is, look, if, if somebody asks me about going through this therapy because they literally are having this, this post-traumatic difficulty with, with the loss of a loved one, and I know them from a spiritual perspective, I'm going to make sure they understand that, look, that person is not there, but you probably are going to be able to work through the issues of the loss of that person, and that person will be involved inside your mind. So I would absolutely counsel forward on that. Do, you, do I counsel forward if they are looking forward to seeing some dead person? No. You wanna, we want people to experience the healing of their mind, but we want to do it in the most clear fashion possible with the highest level of understanding that they can actually have. And actually, there's a biblical principle to help answer this. Preaching and performing miracles in idolatrous cities always carried the inherent danger of misrepresentation talking about the Apostle Paul, but you know what? He did it anyway. One example is when Paul healed a man who had never walked before. Now, he's in this Lyconian city, and he heals this man, and here's what happens. Acts 14, 11 to 15. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Bartimus Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. 
The priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So this healing brought the people out in their idolatrous fashion to worship Paul and Barnabas as the gods. They weren't. It brought a very volatile, in their minds, in a Christian mind, response that wasn't appropriate. So the crowd's reaction is dramatic. They cheered and they celebrated, and the gods were with them. And what happens? Verses 14 and 15. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So Barnabas and Paul took the opportunity to explain the truth, knowing the likelihood that most of them are still going to go back to their idolatrous ways. The miracle still stood. They still performed miracles. Why? Because they were preaching the gospel, and it inevitably gets misunderstood. Look at history at how badly the gospel has been misunderstood. Does that mean we don't preach it anymore? No, we still preach. So our explanations, our explanations of truth in relation to these kinds of things should not be to demoralize someone from pursuing the mind's natural process of healing. Okay, again, this is a natural process of healing. There's nothing spiritual about this. Zero spirituality. It's all inside the mind. It's physiological. So we don't want to discourage someone from that natural healing. And when, when it comes time to helping them understand the depth of it, let's do it in season so we can be encouraging. Let people get the healing that they need physically. This is not spiritual physically so they can move forward. This can be a scary thing to a lot of people when trying to fix a trauma they have gone through. This medical breakthrough can help a lot when you're at the point of not being able to cope with life. There is so much we don't understand about the brain. Living under sin and sickness, we're all broken some way or another. Thank God for his promised kingdom when we'll have perfect minds and have peace throughout eternity. And you're so right. This is a, this is a wonderful experience, and it's a physical experience. And, and to prove that it's a physical experience, this next soundbite to me is, is, is wonderful. This is uh, Dr. Bakken talking about people who naturally experience these things versus people who are New Age oriented and their results on this. When I worked at the VA and I would introduce this to my v, my combat patients, yeah, they looked at me like I was an idiot, <laughs> and they said they would say things like, "That's not going to work with me, Doc. I don't believe in that crap." Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, though, that makes them easier to work with because when it gets to the point of doing the induction, they're wide open to this natural experience. That's right. Now I get a lot of new agey people who think. They know what this experience is supposed to be like, and they yeah. have beliefs and expectations that they ins- try to insert into the experience. And when that happens, nothing happens. It completely blocks it. Yeah, well, you're right. You separate what you're doing from hypnotherapy, from pr- hypnosis, and you do it well in the book. All of our um, brainwave studies, EEG studies, indicate that, in fact, the two are very different brain states. And that, that, that's an important factor to realize that, that EMDR is not in any way, shape, or form hypnosis. It's a completely different brain state. And it is there, uh, it, again, helps unlock the brain itself so the brain can physically reconnect. Doubters of EMDR are the best prepared for healing and they're, as, because they're not inserting what they think they know into the mind's healing process. See, the new age type people are looking to insert dark, the darkness of spiritism into the light of the human physical ability to reconcile itself, the brain. And you, the, the light and the dark don't mix. And that's why it doesn't work for them because it's not a spiritual experience. It's a physical one. So Dr. Botkin went on to say that in all, and of course, all is a big word, in all cases where there are issues of horrible guilt and anger, forgiveness has always, that's another big word, happened. So if the deceased person was a bad person, a horrible, drunken father who abused his kids, in the ADC, the person is different and they're aware of the pain they cause. They take full responsibility. So you can see what that kind of response would mean to a damaged, abused person. This is exactly what they'd want to hear. And the brain creates this for their healing. 
And you know, remember, our brain creates the greater difficulty as well. It, cre- it, brings, it carries more weight than it needs to. And this is the brain's way of taking some of that weight off and bringing back equilibrium. It's a natural, has nothing to do with spiritual. It's a natural experience. And so the last soundbite we're going to go to here, does uh, do these induced IADC experiences prove an afterlife? All right, there's the bottom line. And the, and the guy interviewing him wants the answer to be absolutely. Well, take a listen very carefully to what Dr. Bakken says. People often ask me, well, doctor, do you think that IADC proves there's an afterlife? And the way I generally respond to, the, respond to that is, well, why are you asking me? I'm only a psychologist. The, the people... The only people that have a truly informed opinion are those who have had the experience. Right. So when someone says, you know, what do I think, you know, go ask somebody who's had the experience. Yeah, beautiful. They know what it's like. Well, there you and, go. And as a psychologist, I'm all about healing. Yeah. That, you know, I, I work with people that suffer so profoundly. It's beyond imagination yeah. of, of the kind of terrible things that I work with. So what he's saying is, I'm all about healing them. And he's not saying, yeah, it's, it's absolute definite proof. What he's saying is, I'm putting things in order. I'm helping them. And what EMDR is, is letting the mind heal itself, letting it reconnect the connections that it lost through the traumatic stress. So he treats this the way he treats the rest of his EMDR. So let's see it as this physiological phenomenon of the amazing power of the mind. So perhaps we can look at this incredible healing power of our minds as a glimpse of what God does in reality have in store. These ACDs seem to assure, seem to assure that those who grieve that the deceased is in a better place. We unequivocally believe that they're dead, with the exception of the called out ones, which means that they are without consciousness. But we also believe that all of those individuals have been ransomed by Jesus, which means they have a resurrection waiting for them and a true real-life opportunity to be in a better place along with the rest of humanity. Many Bible prophecies describe the conditions of this future kingdom of God on earth. Real quick, Rick, you said with the exception of the called-out ones, you know, the Bible tells us there's a relatively small number of truly faithful footstep followers of Jesus who do receive their reward in heaven at death, but the vast majority of the world are in their graves awaiting their resurrection on earth, and the dead, either in heaven or in their graves, are not trying to communicate with us, as comforting as that thought might be. It is a comforting thought to lots of people, but to me what's more comforting is the fact that we can reconcile the difficulties and the traumas. Let's listen just to one scripture about this kingdom, and then let's wrap this whole thing up. Jonathan, just this one, one of many, many, many prophecies, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will come forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Now that is a better place, and that's what the scriptures talk about in the future. Jonathan, coping with our greatest losses, let's wrap it up. For the Christian, an after-death communication can appropriately be renamed an after-death reconciling of our feelings of sadness or grief or anger or guilt with the plan and will of God. The deceased will be in a better place, and we can therefore release the weight of their death because Jesus ransomed them. Well, Rick, this subject gives God the glory on how the brain works and how it can be fixed. It's amazing. It is amazing. It really, truly is amazing. And, and folks, 
you know, as we as we wrap this up, we talked about a very difficult subject today, and I want to be crystal clear that these after-death communications that we've spoken of uh, from a physiological standpoint, we absolutely do not believe you're communicating with the dead. We don't believe it's something you should be looking to try to do. This happens when your grief is overwhelming, when the trauma is overwhelming, and it's a way for your own mind to say, it's okay. Because with all of these experiences, what's the message? It's okay. It's your mind riding the ship so you can go on with life. Let's take the gift of a human mind that seeks that equilibrium and say, thank God for that. And now thank God for the resurrection and for the future happy place, better place that everybody, because of Jesus Christ's ransom, will be able to experience. Put this all in perspective and thank God for the miracle of humanity. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback, send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channels, such as uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Next week, is anyone listening to the wisdom of the Bible? Anyone? Anyone? 